0: Everybody. Uh, welcome to an early edition of Thursday night uh, class. Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Gail, can I have slightly more volume? Just a little bit more. Test one, two, just so I like to hear myself. There we go. Great. Thank you. <clears throat> um So we know that uh, we will not be returning uh, to class here until Tuesday and Thursday of the new year, uh, the first, sorry, uh, January 3rd and January 4th. Uh, We'll have class on those two days, Tuesday, (laughs) I said Tuesday and Thursday, I do this wrong every time. All right, starting over, hi everybody, and we will be back on Tuesday and Wednesday, the 3rd and the 4th of next year. So January 3rd and January 4th, Tuesday and Wednesday, we'll have class. Uh, Then uh, Chris and I are off again, and we will be back on the uh, 17th of January, Tuesday. And then we'll be back to our regular schedule. So I know it's a long break, and I apologize for the timing of it yet again. Uh, That's the last time I'm going to apologize, though. And interestingly enough, you know, we had made the decision to to cancel on Christmas Day. I I can't remember because the last time it happened was seven years ago. I'm sure that we did the last time. And maybe the next time, seven years from now, we will have class on Christmas. I don't know. But uh, uh, in traveling home yesterday, I noticed that a, a church, I went by a church and said, We're having service. I was like, Oh, man, I feel like, you know, I feel like a jerk. And then another church were having service, and I went by a next church. These are in Dallas, and it was like, sir, you know, they they were not having service. And I was like, yeah, all right. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, as far as Zoom is concerned, Zoom will continue. Uh, the host of the Zoom meeting is going to be Terry Oakey in Great Britain, uh, and she's wonderful. Uh, she has attended almost all of them, but. Uh, she'll be uh, heading up the Zoom meetings. So the Zoom meetings, at the same time, 4 o'clock uh, Pacific Standard Time, we will continue to have the Zoom meetings. So uh, I hope if you do attend those and want to attend those, just know that they'll be there. Uh, and if you want uh, to just – the, the link to the Zoom meeting is right on the website. So uh, just click on the link. There's a passcode. It's right there on the website. You Just type it in, and you'll be ready to go. All right. So let's begin with prayer now and get ourselves ready for God's word being um, attentive and, and humble and reverent before God to learn these wonderful things that he has put in his word for us so that we can grow in grace and knowledge and come to understand much greater the plan that he has for our lives, which is wonderful. So with that, let's pray. Our great God and Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to be together, uh, that you have uh, held off this storm so that we can at least gather and, and record your word for all those in, who hear can hear. Uh, we thank you for uh, your graciousness in providing to us, uh, to us each, our salvation and your word and your plan and your spirit so that we can understand you and and come to a a great understanding of who you are and what you have uh, for us in terms of eternal life. We thank you for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, through whom you have glorified yourself, and that through him we can glorify you. To be able to see you and know you, Father, we are extremely blessed. May we know, Father, that that is the greatest of blessings is to see you and to know you. We ask, Father, that through your Spirit that you would bless this time in which we um, study a particular passage and that your Spirit would enlighten our hearts concerning it. And We ask in Christ's name, amen. Uh, So we're looking at the part of the Lord's Prayer, the third petition is your will be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven. So as we know it, our Father who is in heaven, Hallowed or sanctified be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those first three petitions refer to the glorification of God in our lives and also uh, a measurement of our desire to know the Lord, to long for his kingdom, and to do his will. And In in each of these three, uh, all of which pertain to heaven, the Father is in heaven. The kingdom is in heaven. The will of God is in heaven. As we see here on earth, the will of God is, is rarely uh, loved and appreciated and done here on earth. But in heaven, it is always the will of God. So that through these three, the glorification of the Father, sanctifying him in my heart, our hearts, The longing for and obeying, uh, the the seeking for his kingdom, uh, not here on earth but in our own hearts, the ways and laws of that kingdom, and obeying those ways and laws by doing his will can actually put heaven in my heart. And as we live on earth, those three things create a fullness of heaven within us. And by that fullness of heaven within We control this body, which is the body we need to get through this earth, to get through life. The body is really our vessel. Uh, But even though this body is a vessel, we are to use it as instrument of righteousness. Therefore, though it is uh, stained with sin, the sin nature, God has given us this body. It is his creation. And though it is corrupted, we can control it. And that, that control is, and part of controlling our bodies is a part of the will of God. It's called self-control. And by controlling our thoughts and what we focus on, what we perceive, we control the body and make it, as Paul said, I beat my body and make it my slave. And so heaven within creates this desire and also this great joy and motivation to go through life as one who is in heaven, uh, who is a citizen of heaven, a part of heaven, who sees heaven and actually portrays heaven from themselves to others. And that is the light that we are. Christ said, you are the light of the world. So there's a lot of, of uh, exciting things in this, first, th- in these, I should say, first three petitions in the Lord's Prayer. And as we spend our lives praying them, the depth of them will become more and more familiar to us. So that's why we're going to just uh, look at this one passage here, which is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. It is the opening paragraph to Peter's second epistle. And it has this very thing in mind. And the very thing is that with the gifts that God has given us, it propels us to obey. What we looked at yesterday is that the reason why we can obey is because God has set us up in a place uh, where we are cleansed of all sin, we're forgiven of all sin, we're new creatures in Christ, we're his children, we're in the house, not slaves anymore, but sons and daughters in the house. And so God has set us up to obey. a, A father to his biological children has the authority to make them obey and that child has the opportunity unlike a stranger or a neighbor's kid you know the father doesn't have authority over the neighbor's kid but your own children have the opportunity to obey you now they don't take advantage of that and a lot of Christians don't take advantage of that and heck we don't or any of us who are at least try to be faithful to God don't always take advantage of that but <clears throat> what we do have is the privilege of obeying by our position And how did we get our position? Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so we saw yesterday that in Hebrews 9 and 10, by the blood of Christ, we have been purified. And by the blood of Christ and the cross of Christ, we have been set free. And what are we free to do? Well, it's just like he said in John 8, the slave of sin is a slave, but the son is free. And then he said, if the Son, meaning himself, God the Son, sets you free, you shall be free indeed. What is that freedom for? The freedom is to serve God. It's the freedom which the unbeliever doesn't have. The the believer has the freedom from his position to serve God, to obey God. And so Peter's going to present this by not mentioning the cross, but by mentioning the gifts that come at salvation which are the result of the cross. So in verse 1 he says Simon Peter a bond servant of the apostle uh, uh, sorry a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Let me set this up for my first slide. This is the reason. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 first. And uh, this paragraph easily divides into two sections. We'll look at the first section and the first section is the reason for obedience. And so, uh, again, Simon Peter, a bond bondservant and, or a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have received a faith of the same, uh, it's not really same kind, but same preciousness. Uh, the Greek word there is a, a word that means precious or honorable. And so it's the same honor or the same preciousness. To those who have received a faith of the same preciousness as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ Now, for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence, and then that list goes on. And we'll get to the list later. Uh, now, when you first read through that, did you grab it all? You know, as you first listen to it, even if you read it slowly, you find that Peter lumps a lot of things into his sentence. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in long sentences. And Paul, uh, Paul has a lot of run-on sentences. What Peter has is kind of a uh, flow-of-thought style of writing, uh, which comes out in Greek a lot more than it does in English. When we translate his Greek sentences, we move the words back to an order that makes good English. But for Peter in Greek, Peter will put the subject and the verb miles away from each other. And and stuff like that. He'll put the preposition and the object of the preposition kind of far away from each other. And he'll throw in a whole bunch of stuff in between. And it makes for, uh, I don't know, I, I guess I'll call it interesting reading. It, it, it's kind of like you having a conversation. You're not worried about grammar and syntax when you're talking to somebody. And that's kind of how Peter writes. And that's why you have a whole lot of stuff in here. But it's all related, and so what we have to do is unpack it and repack it. Um, First, he says we've received a faith of the same preciousness. And how did that faith come? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the righteousness of Christ, which is displayed on the cross, provided for us through the gospel the ability to believe. And God has made us in his image so that we can believe. You know, animals, uh, beasts do not have faith issues. We do. And being made in the image of God, all of us believe stuff. Uh, But also through the gospel and through the Holy Spirit, the, uh, the cross of Christ becomes an issue for every single human being by which they either have to reject it or put their faith in it. And so faith becomes a gift. What we don't mean by that is God forces us to believe. But what we do mean is that we have the opportunity. Every human being has the opportunity, through God the Holy Spirit's ministry to the world, to comprehend the gospel through the Spirit and to put their faith in the gospel. And by us, whenever you believed in Christ as your Savior, I'm sure that it's not a memory of you being awesome or you being great or you being, you know, so keen in your intellect that you figured it out on your own or something like that. And it's actually something that I fully received. So faith is a gift. And then what? In verse 2, grace and peace. So notice the, these are the main words, faith, grace, peace. And then knowledge. And so we have <clears throat> first off So go to verse 4 again. And this is what opened my mind to this. When he says in verse 4, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. By these, what are these? He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So what are the these? And it turns out that the these are faith, it's on the board faith, grace, and peace in in the full knowledge of God and, uh, and uh, sorry, God the Father and God the Son. So we have, and I, I strung those all together. I could have separated them. But we have faith, grace, peace, knowledge. But it's not just knowledge. Your Bible says knowledge, uh, if you have New American Standard. It's really full knowledge. That's epinosis there in verse 2. Not just gnosis, epinosis. Uh, epi is a prefix that... Uh, magnifies a word, intensifies a word. So it's epinosis, the full knowledge of what? Well, it's not a what, it's a who, right? It's a full knowledge of God the Father and God the Son. And you may remember in our study on the Holy Spirit or the particular ministry of the Spirit that we did a little while ago, that the main ministry of the Holy Spirit is to reveal to us the Father and the Son. In John chapter 16, I think it's verse 24, that Jesus said, I'm going to send you another helper, and that helper is going to reveal me to you, he said. And I and the Father, the what I have and the Father has is the same, and so he's going to reveal me and the Father. And so... And then, we're not done there. We have everything pertaining to life and godliness. So, uh, that's verse 3. Let's read it again. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And so, what is it? Everything we need. Everything pertaining to. It, it's, the Greek word is panta. It means all things. Everything that you need... For life and for godliness. So godliness is a word that means it's a Eusebia. It means full devotion. So it means uh, devotion to God in all things. And that, if I'm going to be successful in the Christian life, I need that. But the life part is not separate. You see, they're separated by a conjunction. As Peter writes it, it's life and godliness. But the life that we live, as we saw also, uh, is not one that is uh, a life that is secular in one part and spiritual in another. In other words, there's my church life and my work life. There's my spiritual ministry life and my family life, or my you know my hobby life, my you know my vacation life, or whatever. Uh, God never speaks of our lives like that. God always speaks of our lives as one. Same as with our persons. God doesn't talk about us as, well, part of you is your body and part of you is your soul. No, he talks of us as as actual souls. It's Like, that's what we are. We are body, soul, spirit, mind, heart, all one. Our lives are all one. Whether we're at work, whether we're at church, whether we're worshiping, whether we're doing chores or mundane errands, uh, our life is one. And so God has provided everything. So as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek first his kingdom and all things will be added to you. That's exactly what we see here. Everything for life and for godliness. Now again, what we're doing here is unpacking Peter's uh, first half of this paragraph. He says again in verse 4, By these he has granted to us his promises. Uh, the promises are magnif uh, are sorry, are described as precious and magnificent. They certainly are. Uh, the promises of God are many. So by these is by what? Well, the by these is faith God has given us. Grace, God has given us, peace. And the peace that God has given us has come through the cross of Christ. He's our propitiation. So peace and the full knowledge of God the Father and Son. And then, with that, everything that we need for life and for godliness. All of these are gifts from God to every believer. Nobody, No believer is excluded. Uh, to all who have believed in Christ as their Savior, these things are theirs. Faith is a gift to the human race who are made in God's image. All of us have the ability to put our faith in something. Salvation by grace through faith is a gift of God in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Grace is all of God's unmerited favor towards you. Peace is the fact that Christ has made peace between us and the Father through the blood of his cross, Colossians 1:20. And with growth, this results in the residency of peace in the soul. The full knowledge of God is the combination of the gifts of Scripture, the Holy Spirit who is your helper or your teacher, The pastor-teacher, faith, right? You have to believe what you hear. So again, here uh, faith is an asset. And then time, God gives us time to learn. And then perseverance in the scriptures. All of those things are a gift from God. We have the ability to persevere in the scriptures. We have time to learn them. We have faith to put in them. God gives a pastor-teacher to iron out some things. And also the scripture and the Holy Spirit, which are the most important part. Added to those things, grace, peace, and knowledge, is the needs for life. Every need that we would ever need for life. Jesus said, don't be worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Your Father knows that you need these things. O you of, what did he say, little faith, your Father will provide. Don't be worried. Don't be anxious. God has given us everything we need for life and for godliness, meaning that there is no believer... Who could say I never had the chance to be completely devoted to God? Not one. Like when I think of myself as the parts of my life where I know they're not completely devoted to God, uh, you know what's preventing me? Well, it's fear, uh, fear of giving up this or that, or fear of of uh, committing completely, uh, and all of that. It, it's, it's there's fear. There's doubt. And all of us struggle, because none of us have arrived, and all of us need more devotion. But yet, it says here that all believers are gifted with the ability from God, everything that we need pertaining to godliness, everything that we need. <coughs> now, pause. Because again, we have to we have to grab hold of this and I mean, sometimes, even when you read a passage over and over, uh, it, it behooves you to just stop and say, first off, wait a minute. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things Peter's thrown in here together. Uh, it, at first read, it, it's almost like a word salad. Uh, and you want to grab the main points and pull them out. And that's what I did here. The main points are first the gifts. Faith. Peace, grace, knowledge—they're <clears throat> necessities of life and godliness. These are all gifts to every believer. Then, again, not moving on yet. What about all the words that are around these? Again, let's read it again. To those uh, starting in verse one, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God and Savior and of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these, by these. So before we get to verse 4, the these now come by... And this is what Peter tells us. These gifts of faith and grace and peace and knowledge and God's supply, if you will, come by righteousness, the righteousness of God and the Savior, our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, It comes to us by Christ because it comes to us by the cross. And so the sacrifice of Christ is in here, although Peter doesn't mention the cross specifically, Or a phrase like the blood of Christ. Or the death of Christ. It comes to us by divine power. So by his. Where is that? Verse 3. His divine power has granted us. And so granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. It's his power. The omnipotence of God. Who's more powerful than God? Nobody. So by his power. That he inherently has for all of eternity. By his. Um, righteousness by his calling it says continuing in verse 3 his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us so why did these things come to us well god elected us and why did he elect us because we had faith in christ but also elected before the foundation of the world elected us wow how by his own glory and virtue, God's—that's the last one. God's glory, who He is, His His glory is His attributes, His character, His everything that He is. What is beautiful about God? That's His glory. But there's many aspects to it. It's often related to light, as a But light is opposed to darkness. So when God creates in the beginning in Genesis. Let there be light. That's the glory of God. And his virtue. When it says excellence there, the Greek word is arete. uh, And in our coming list, God is going to tell us, or really Peter, but God is going to tell us through Peter, that we are to be virtuous as God is. And so, what do we see? Go back to, we're going to take our time with this now, we have the, the main point in the first part are the gifts, faith, uh, grace, peace, knowledge, and all things that we need. They come to us by God's what? Well, just lump them all together for the sake of ease and learning. Uh, because, um, we, you know, we could try and memorize these, but memorization that would actually do us any good would take us time. I mean days and days and probably weeks and weeks. So we would come back and go over this and come back and go over this. And it wouldn't hurt us to memorize it. It wouldn't hurt you to memorize everything, actually. But it's practically impossible. Uh, But at the same time, in your process of trying to memorize something, just as a side note, you're really going over it and over it. But I would say memorization, not just for the sake of being impressive to people, that, you know, wow, that guy knows a lot of scripture. But memorization in the pursuit of understanding. And I found that to be quite beneficial. There's a few psalms that I've memorized that I know I can just kind of pull up in my soul when I need them. Particular ones that help me, that are particular to the things where I'm, I find myself weak, which are several places. So anyway, so we have the gifts and we have the giver. Right? So again, and that's a that's a wonderful thing to see here. Here's the gifts, right? The faith, the grace, the peace, the knowledge, the everything for life, and then the giver, the righteousness, the Christ, the cross, the power, the election, God's glory, God's virtue. The gift and the giver. And then we put them together. So before we move on through Peter's really packed opening paragraph we see something, and this is of great importance. From the attributes of God flow the gifts of God. Right? Simple to see now that we've kind of unpacked it. Where do the gifts of God come from? Like it's Christmas season, right? So you got to buy for somebody, and you know, well, you know, they they don't really need anything. What do I get them? And it may be some, something. It, it, maybe it's a gesture of love and gratitude. But still, you know, if somebody doesn't really need something, then, you know, you're just getting them stuff. Okay, we, we do it. Is that what God does? Does He just say, huh, oh, what does Joe want? I don't know, uh, give him a couple of cats. No, I didn't want those, God, but I got them anyway. But, uh, you know,. <laughs> Give him a toddler. I love my toddler. And actually, I kind of needed that. But uh, is that how God does things? He's kind of like got a big, huge catalog that he goes through, like like an Amazon account. And he says, let's see what I'll give to these people of mine. No. The gifts of God come from the attributes of God. Always. It's been a great revelation to me in this passage which I think is something we all knew, but to put our finger right on it is very, very helpful. The gifts of God are from the attributes of God. As James writes in James 1, I think it's 1, uh, that in the book of James somewhere, that uh, all good things come from above, from the Father of lights. and Father of lights is really Father of glory. Um, the attributes of God... From the attributes of God flow the gifts of God. And since that is true, how could the gifts be any different than who God is? And they're not. For example, when God says, Be holy, why? Because he's holy. He tells us to be righteous. Why? Because he made us righteous. Uh, <clears throat> we're given righteousness. We're justified. What is God? Justice. Justice. We're, we're giving needs, and God always has uh, his needs met, and he meets ours. Uh, he gives us his son. Why is that? Because he's sacrificial. He gives us sacrifice because he's sacrificial. You know, It's not, like, it's not that God painted himself into a corner somehow and said, well, look, oh my God, I can't believe all, all myself. I can't believe that the angels fell and man fell. What do I do? Like it's reactionary. The Bible tells us that this has been planned before the foundation of the world. So, everything we get from God is from his attributes. Therefore, whatever we receive from him, that gift is a piece of him. And that piece of him is a piece of his very nature. And now that is yours forever. That possession, that gift from God is yours forever. And it also pertains to the earthly things. The earthly things that are good. Right? The good things, not the sinful things, it's not not those. But the good things that come from God are a part of his attributes. When God gives us a relationship, God has given us if it's someone that is a true relationship, God gives us love, acceptance, forgiveness, companionship, fellowship, service. Comfort. These all come from the people that we know that, that love us. And those are all attributes of God. God gives us himself. And that's yours and mine forever. And then, what God says is, I want you to explore these gifts and see them for what they are. God wants us and entreats us to open up these gifts and again, going back to the gifts of what is grace? What is peace? What is knowledge? The knowledge of the Father and the Son, the full knowledge. What is faith? Uh, and there's more gifts than that, of course. Just because These are the ones that Peter lists here at the opening of his epistle. And we're entreated by God to open up these gifts and discover them. And when you discover the gift, you discover the one who gave it. You discover God. So, when a, when a believer ignores his gifts from God and explores the world, he's ignoring God because he's not uh, taking advantage of the gifts. To not take advantage of the peace that Christ has uh, gained for us through his cross, to find out what that is and to live in it and to take full advantage of it is to ignore God. In other words... And the greatest blessing in life is to behold God. That's why Jesus opened up with that in his prayer. Our Father in heaven. That's it. That is the greatest blessing to man. To be able to call God his Father and to be able to see him and know him. Remember, wasn't it Moses who said, God, I want to see your face? And God said, you can't. But we can. Because Jesus Christ is his face. So when you behold the gifts of God which is only done by using them, then you behold God himself. And so how is this related to your will be done? It's in the middle of that sentence, using them. To use the gifts of God, I obey the commands of God. So God blesses me with peace. How do I discover peace? Well, certainly not through sin. Sin ruins peace. Your peace with God, not that your reconciliation with God cannot be undone. If you're a believer, you're saved forever. But the peace that you experience in your heart, sin does not provide. Sin ruins it. It's obedience that discovers what peace is. If I obey, and is obedience easy all the time? It is not. (laughs) It is not. Uh, there's a. I, I don't want. I know it's early in this the, this third season of The Chosen, but they did a fantastic scene with Christ and one of the apostles. That was like a one-on-one conversation. It's not in the Bible, but they depicted something that is so truly biblical. And I'll just wait a while and use it as an example. Cause I don't want to ruin it for anybody. It's in the second episode, which just came out like last week or something, um, and. You know, it pertains to the fact that, all right, God, you want me to obey. You want me to grab hold of these gifts and open them. That's great. But I have a sin nature that doesn't want to obey you. And, and so I have a flesh that doesn't want to obey you. I mean, for some things, yeah, they're kind of somewhat easier. But for some other things, I, I, can't, oh, I don't feel like I can overcome them. So how am I ever going to see your peace? And, and, and that moves us to the next thing. Um, and what is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 4. For by these, the gifts, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. What promises? There's hundreds of them. Hundreds. They're all over the Scripture. In the New Testament alone, there are hundreds of them. And these promises, what do they do? The promise says, you follow me, you'll find me. You obey me, right? You love me, you obey me. I and my Father will build our house with you. That's a promise. You seek me, you'll find me. Right? You submit to me. And you say, "My will be your will be done." Then you will discover, you will see. If you don't follow me, what will you see? Well, you'll see what it's like not to follow, me, basically, which is misery. And God is does God does not desire that for us. And so that gets us to this next thing. So the promises are: you will find. You will see, and therefore, by seeing God, you will see what all life is about, what life is for, which is, and in that life is joy and and uh, and power and courageousness, happiness, love. You know, just just think of the fruit of the spirit: with gentleness, faithfulness, peace, goodness. Uh, and and so, getting back to my prior thought, the promises say, look. You follow, it, it's going to work. And we say, well, hold on, God. It would be easier if you took the thorn out of my flesh, a la Paul, or if you if you just by you know wave your hand and get rid of this weakness of mine. You know, it's a sinful weakness in the mentality, something that I gave into for years, and it still haunts me. You could just move your hand and, and free me of it. Some physical sickness that drags me down, it makes me tired and achy and pain. wave your hand, get rid of it. And God says, no. It could. I can do anything. He created the words the worlds, sorry, with a word. In Hebrews 1. <laughs> several passages where God said He spoke and it happened. Let there be light, right? And then light comes. He doesn't say, let there be light and then turn a switch. He says, let there be light, light comes. God can do anything. So therefore, if your weakness is not taken away, he has purposely left it. And and we don't understand. I said, that doesn't make any sense. If you had the power to remove something from your child, Say you wanted the most thing you wanted in the world for your child, your physical child, was to become a great scholar or just at least, you know, go to college and get like a master's degree in something or a PhD and be, you know, be really smart and successful. But say your child had a learning disability. Say they were dyslexic or, or something even worse and they had a learning disability, and you had the power to remove it. Would you say no? Of course you wouldn't. You'd you'd pay whatever it took. You'd do whatever it took to solve it, to cure it. But yet God in heaven, who has the power to cure us of everything, says, no, I'm not going to. And here's the reason. See, once we know the reason, instead of being complainers about it, and instead of being of the type that says, well, I'm not even going to try because you know, I'm at, a dis- I'm at a great disadvantage. How am I supposed to do it? That The real reason is that God says, look, if you were in perfection with no problems and no issues, in other words, you were in heaven in a resurrection body, it would be far easier for you to glorify me. But here on earth, with the ailments, the, the hiccups, the frailties, the vices that you harbor, if my word and my person enable you to overcome those meaning not that they go away but that you actually with them overcome them and glorify me how much greater is my glory and you're like wow and think of it that way so i could glorify you with the problem with the thorn and god says most most definitely and this shows us, too, that the, uh, the goal of life is to glorify him. And, and this we see. Uh, we see it here, too. So, as we, so we come to, we have the these, which are the gifts. Where do the gifts come from? The attributes of God. So the gifts are really pieces of the attributes of God. When I receive the gift, I receive God himself. And then, before we move on to how it is that I'm going to open these gifts and explore them, which is through obedience, Peter just takes one more step. He says, not just yet. Don't get to the end yet. He said, before we move on to how we use the gifts, let's visit the promise. And what the promise is, is a guarantee. right? Because God can't lie, however you want to look at it. When God says something, is going to happen. <clears throat> the promise now says, look, if you take these gifts that come from my essence and you obey, the promise is that you will see. Right? And the promise is that you will, you will gain it. I mean, how many different promises are there of all different types? You will achieve. You will overcome. You will gain it. You will have joy. You will be strong. You will be courageous. You will be a great witnesser of me. Now an ambassador of reconciliation and so on. And there's so many promises. And God says, look, if you do these things, it will happen. So Peter visits the promise before he moves on to the purpose. How many promises pertain to these gifts, which again are, we don't mind, Doing the repeat thing. Uh, Faith, grace, peace, the knowledge of the Father and the Son, and everything pertaining to life and godliness. Hundreds. I mean, it's too many promises that we could actually pursue in one class. So we lump them all together, maybe give a sample, right? We'll be partners with the divine nature. That's the one that Peter lists here. So let's look at that one. We'll just focus on that one. Verse 4, For by these, these gifts that come from the essence of God, He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. And so we'll just look at what that means. It's not hard to figure out. Partaker of the divine nature. And along with that, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Corruption and lust are the uh, progenitors... Of misery. And corruption in lust is the misery of mankind. Sin. uh, Longing for the wrong things. Uh, uh, Longing for them so much that you're willing to do anything to get them. And they're the wrong things. (laughs) That's lust and corruption. It is the misery of mankind. And God wants to deliver us from it. And getting back to what we said before, does God have the power to remove all the corruption and lust from the world, even from my own heart? Absolutely. Because in the future, He's going to do it. But not now. God says in the midst of the corruption, surrounded by lust, and within, in this flesh, the corruption and the lust that's in you, I want you to overcome by obeying me. But where am I going to get the the desire even, the motivation to obey you? From the gifts. Do you see what I've given you? Do you see how much I love you? Do you see how I've set you up? Do you see what I've done? I've come into the world. Heaven and earth, we're at incredible odds with one another. And I left heaven and came to earth so that I could make you rich. See this divine nature? Who has that divine nature? Jesus Christ. What's our nature? Flesh. And what did Jesus take upon himself yet without sin? He took upon himself our nature so that he could give us his nature. And the great passage for that is in Corinthians. He who was rich became poor, so that we who were poor could become rich. The poor had the fleshly nature, the nature of the old Adam, and they became rich by becoming partakers with the new nature, which is the nature of the last Adam, who is Christ. And that's how we're going to do it. So where am I here? So again, when you behold the gifts of God, which is only done by using them, you behold God Himself. And herein lies this motivation. Look around you. All you see is corrupt. You look in the mirror. All you see is corruption. And yet God is offering you to see Him. Me and you, to see Him. On a daily basis, to look into His face, to see Him. But to do it, we've got to lay aside this lust and corruption. And and to do that, we've got to take hold of the gifts. So the natural result of this is that you escape the corruption in the world that exists by lust. Your father does not want you beset by corruption and lust, of which all of life's misery comes. Since it is the flesh that lusts, this salvation and subsequent multitude of gifts that are given to us are which are of a spiritual nature from God by exploring those gifts and exploring my salvation which is included with the gifts it leaves no sorry leaves no time or leaves no life for the flesh god did not remove the flesh per se he crucified us with christ but the flesh will not be ultimately removed from us until we die. But what God gave us is infinitely more. When we're exploring that which is beautiful, we don't have time for that which is ugly. And this is how God has set it, set it up. When, we're, when we find that something is so beautiful as the nature of God, which we see through the exploration of his gifts, for instance, His knowledge, His peace, His grace and our faith, of the faith that He's given us, when we put them into action, when we're after them, the pursuit of them, or as Peter will say now coming up, diligently supplying them, that we we don't have time for that which is evil and base and corrupt and lustful. It still beckons us. It still calls us. It still tempts us. But, We're more occupied with something else. It doesn't mean we're not going to fall for it from time to time. But for the most part, we're more occupied with that which is beautiful. And so, God, graciously, and he gives us time to see this. Thank God. That when we see this, we start to go the way of the narrow path. Because the narrow path is the only place where this is visible. So... He let the flesh remain. He let the world remain. He even let Satan, who has been completely defeated by Christ on the cross, to remain for a little while as the God of this world. And he has given us a blessed life that will, if we see it, so absorb our desire and our time that will ignore the consistent longing of the flesh for our attention and loyalty. Again, not sinless, but ignoring. So to glorify the name of the Father in heaven while corruption and desire lay siege to our souls is much more magnificent than glorifying God without them. Again, to glorify the name of our Father in heaven while corruption and desires lay siege to our souls, and they constantly do, it is much more magnificent to glorify God in this way and bright than it would be to do so without them. So the blessing, the blessing is seeing God. And I know for a lot of people in this world, we know this easily, for a lot of people in this world, if you were to tell them that you commit your life to God, you commit to sacrifice and study and diligence and devotion, what are are you going to get as a reward is you're going to see God. And many people in the world are going to be, that's it. you got nothing more than that. I'm going to see God. Big deal. If you promised them gold and silver, they'd be excited much more. And we have this wonderful proverb. This proverb is written about uh, wisdom. Really, we could call her lady wisdom. It's in the feminine. And wisdom says in Proverbs 8, 10, and 11, Take my instruction and not silver. And knowledge rather than choice is gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. And you, you continue in this chapter in Proverbs, and then we find wisdom is with God creating the worlds. And, and wisdom here is an essence of God. <coughs> all right. All right, so we have to cram in the last part here. Is always the case. So now, again to 2 Peter 1 4. Look at verse 4. We just want to look at this word partaker. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. What are the these? They're the gifts faith, grace, peace, knowledge, supply. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises that by them you may become partners. Partners is Uh, koinonos, which means to have in common, to partner, to partake, to share with. And what's uh, nice about this word is that it's used a lot in the New Testament, so we can look at it in different contexts and really get a feel for it. What does it mean to be a partner with the divine nature? This phrase, divine nature, it's it's what it clearly is. The English is the same as the Greek. It's the nature or the... the, uh, as in, we are the nature of humanity. It's just what you are. So, the nature of the divine, which is only God. Uh, this word was used in Greek for many types of relationships, including friendship and marriage. And that's because it meant to share with. And who did you share with the most? would be either your marriage partner, and in the Greek world... And again, in the ancient world, uh, marriage was more of a contract than it was a relationship. And so friendship was really the key uh, that where koinonos was used a lot. And it meant, therefore, to share. And that's why it came to mean fellowship. It's the word for fellowship. It's translated fellowship in your New Testament as well as other things. So it includes friendship um, uh, and more importantly to us, in Hebrews chapter 2, 2.14, it is used for Christ sharing our nature. And the words there used is that he shared in flesh and blood. So God the Son didn't have flesh and blood. He kinonosed flesh and blood. And then... And by, in that passage, it says that he did so to vanquish death, that he uh, overcame death by becoming just like us and dying on our behalf. So this beautiful passage in Hebrews 2.14 says, Christ shared, or the same word, partook of flesh and blood as we do. And here, we partake of the divine nature it is also used for fellowship with Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.9, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 13.14, and amongst believers in the royal family of God, koinana, sorry, is about accepting one another, sharing in material with one another, in other words, giving to one another, suffering, sharing in the suffering of others, and sharing in the work of others amongst the royal family it's always used of a transaction in which we share something Uh, not that we say yeah I go to church with them but uh, that I actually share work service prayer if you will uh, giving to one another there's some sharing there and so we share in the divine nature by what the promises so the gifts come to us by the nature of God. Therefore, we know that the gifts are the nature of God, and that's all God gives us is from his nature. That's what he gives. Then the promises come because I've got to explore these gifts. If I don't explore the gift of say faith, then, you know, I won't know God all that much. And I look, I could be a Bible scholar, but if I don't by faith take these things in the Scripture and live them, if I don't find out what peace really is, which you're not going to find out what peace really is unless you obey. I'm, fi- I'm going to find out what the knowledge of the Son and the Father is. It's not academic. right? It starts with academic. You need to get academic, but this has to be applied for you to know them. As Paul said in Philippians 3, I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings. Right? Why did he want to know that? Because it's the only way you're going to know Christ. And so, we put it all together. The promises say, look, if you do this, it's going to happen. If you go for it, it's going to work. I promise you. And a promise from God is ironclad. <clears throat> and so, in reference to the Lord's Prayer, your will be done as it, on earth as it is in heaven. God's commandments are all in reference to his gifts like for example live righteously because what you've been gifted with righteousness so the commandment is to live righteously you've been gifted with righteousness and then and so now then peter gives us the application and that starts in verse 5 and the rest of the second half of this paragraph is you don't have to do a lot of You need to do way more work on the first part than you do on the second part. The second part is pretty easy. All right, so, gifts from the attribute of God, the promises of God. Look, if you explore these gifts, you're going to see me. And here's how to open the gifts in verse 5. Now for this very reason also. see This is why Peter is sometimes difficult to discern in his writing style, because he has from these, for those, and then he says for this very reason. And you're like, well, I don't remember what I just read. For what very reason? But that's why we spent an hour looking at it. For this very reason. What reason? The gifts that come from the attributes of God, the supply of God for all things pertaining to life and godliness, and the promises from God that this is going to work For this very reason also, applying, which means adding on your part, all diligence. This Greek word, spudazo, means every effort. For this reason also, applying all effort in your faith supply. And when you see supply here, it's a commandment. Supply moral excellence, which is virtue. I like moral excellence. Virtue, this is what it means, I like to be absolutely morally, ethically pure. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. There's the control of your body and your thoughts. And in your self-control, perseverance. That's our old friend, hupomone, which means the ability to remain under pressure with trust and contentment. And in your perseverance, godliness, which means full devotion to God. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. This is Philadelphia, the Greek word, so it really should be brotherly love. And in your brotherly love... Love, which is agape. Right? So now you have a list of things. Like, these are the things that I need to be. But, you know, if I didn't grab hold of the first part of this paragraph, I wouldn't understand why I need to be these things. Why do I need to be morally excellent? I mean, come on, God, I'm a sinner. Why are you requiring this of me? It's Because when I obey his will, I find out what the gifts really are. And when I find out what the gifts really are, I find out who he really is. And that's the importance to your behavior. Your behavior is the key that unlocks the face of God. Your conduct, your behavior, your self-control, your moral excellence, your knowledge, your godliness, your devotion, your love of the royal family of God, your love of the brethren. When you don't want to, say to yourself, I don't want to love them. Well, do you want to see the face of God? Do you want to get to know, do you want to see God? Because the more you see him, the more of heaven will exist within your heart. Do you want that? Or do you want to continue to sludge through the mire of earth and of a humdrum life? That is not what Christ said. I came to give them life and that abundantly. Uh, and so, and that's, that's the value of the behavior. It's not disconnected from salvation. It's absolutely connected. Our experience in obedience is the thing that opens the gifts, which is what lets me see the face of God. And you see Peter brings this out all in the first paragraph of his letter. It's brilliant. Boy, is it packed. I'm already over time. but I don't care. Oh, wait, the storm's coming. Let me hurry up. The ice storm is probably icing outside right now. So he says now, verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, notice, right, I never arrived, they're increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I already mentioned knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it's mentioned again. Uh, so what will you be if they are increasing? Useful to the Father, meaning His work, and fruitful, meaning His fruit. And then the warning in verse 9, For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. I'm, I'm too far over time to finish this. Um, we'll return to it. If you've forgotten, in verse 9, this key warning, if you forgot your purification from your former sins, meaning, and again, he's talking to brethren, he's talking to believers, it means that you forgot the gifts, right? That's the first part. Because where did the gifts come from? They came from the cross of Christ. If I've forgotten my purification of my former sins, this means that, you know, it's not that I've forgotten that I'm a believer. It means that I've forgotten, I'm not thinking about them or they've come too familiar. I don't really care about them anymore. I don't care. I'm more concerned with my temporal life and my earthly life. Then I've forgotten the gifts and I've forgotten the first part of the paragraph. If I've forgotten the first part of the paragraph, the second part of the paragraph just looks like stuff to do you know moral excellence it just looks like a thing i ought to do like i've always been told since i was a kid and whatever you know it's it's not exciting but when you remember the first part of the paragraph the second part becomes infinitely exciting because it is the key path to seeing the face of god and there's more in verse 10 but we're going to have to leave it for now as i'm i'm over an hour or so uh, so we'll leave it there uh, we'll come back to it I th- I, the main part of that gift from the attributes of God with the promises of God lead us to the life that unpacks or allows us to see what the gift is and therefore who God is and that's, that's wonderfully exciting the promise is that if you seek you will find so uh, Merry Christmas to everybody let's close in prayer Father thank you for your word and thank you for this paragraph from your Apostle Peter, Peter who is our brother, and we are uh, just so excited, Father, for the plan of God, for your plan, for our lives. May we see what we've learned today and, 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 and keep it in our hearts, treasure it in our hearts so that we may live it and see more and more of you, see it really come to fruition. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.